A little elderly man was seen walking to church every Sunday morning. He was deaf, so he couldn't hear the message or any of the music that the choir was singing. And the scoffer says to him, why do you spend your Sundays at that church when you can't hear a word? And the deaf man communicated, I want my neighbors to know which side I'm on. 65% of adults in America identify as Christians. The sad reality with that is that identification is far more subjective than it is biblical. It usually means that they have some type of denominational affiliation or they have a personal belief in God. That's usually what it amounts to. What I want you to hear this morning as we get underway is the term Christian is only mentioned three times in Scripture, and this is very important. Each time it is mentioned, it refers to a spiritually mature believer. Every time. Every time you see it in Scripture, it refers to a spiritually mature believer. And the first mention is found in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. And when he had found him, so Barnabas had found Saul, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, Antioch of Syria is of significant importance. I mean, it's, this is a very critical place. The underlying Greek text for our King James Bible came from Antioch. The church at Antioch held a faith-based view of the Scriptures, and they took a literal approach to the Word of God. Unlike many textual critics of our day, the church at Antioch did not critique the Bible. It's been described as Antioch as the heartbeat of Christianity. So if you want to know what Christianity should be about, what it should look like, study as much as you can about Antioch historically, and you'll get a very clear picture of that. But when you understand the history of Antioch, when you understand the heartbeat of Antioch, it makes perfect sense that the disciples were called Christians first here. Makes perfect sense. Barnabas and Saul, the Apostle Paul, had spent a year teaching the Word of God. So what we see here in Acts 11.26 is that believers were together in the structure of the local church. Their elders were teaching them the Word of God. They were disciples. They were called Christians there. This is the first mention of the word in the Bible. And the suffix in the word Christian, I-A-N, it means belonging to the party of. Notice, they did not call themselves Christians. They were called Christians. That is what you would call a group of people who are faithfully gathering around the Word of God in the structure of the local church and living like Christ. You would call that group of people, that kind of people, you would call them Christians. The four goals of discipleship, as we know them here at MBT, 
are seen right here in Acts 11, verse 26, and they are clearly associated with someone who is a Christian. They were established in worship. We learn from Acts 2.47 that through the gatherings of the church, God was being praised. And that is still the case. When we gather, we praise and we worship God. They were established in the Word of God for an entire year. Many were taught the Word of God. They were established in the local church. They assembled themselves with the church. They were established in ministry. Why were they called Christians? Because they were walking and serving like Jesus Christ. The Christians at Antioch were spiritually mature believers. They were not people who were just attending church. They were not people who were just doing Christian things, so to speak. No, these were serious, mature believers in their walk. And the second mention we find in Acts 26, verse 28, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The Jews had had it with Paul at this point, and they had come to the place where they believed that he should no longer live, and so he's brought before King Agrippa to speak for himself. And what Paul did was he used that opportunity to share his conversion testimony. And God clearly used it because Agrippa said, almost, almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What do you believe a Christian looked like to King Agrippa? To him, a Christian looked like the Apostle Paul, who was a true disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian looked like. To him, a Christian looked like a man who was standing before him, who could have been put to death. But instead of trying to save his physical life, he used that platform to serve his Lord. That's what a Christian was to Agrippa. It wasn't someone who just identified as a Christian. And then once it got inconvenient or hard, they pulled back. That's not what Agrippa saw. Please, I need you to hear this. The idea, the idea that someone can sit in a lazy boy Sunday after Sunday and flip channels or go to the hair salon every Sunday because that's more convenient and the line isn't as long. The fact that someone can do that and call themselves a Christian, listen, is biblically laughable. It's biblically laughable. It's laughable. It doesn't check out biblically. Listen, the way that the term is used today, it is biblically offensive. Everybody's a Christian. Sure, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I'm a Christian. And the Bible goes, really? And the believers at Antioch would go, if they could be flies on the wall of the church today, they would be stunned at how bar, at how low the bar has been lowered. Anybody can be a Christian. 
Christians are like the deaf man. Despite the hardships of life, they are not deterred from following the Lord. They just keep coming. They just keep going. They just keep moving forward. Onward, Christian soldier. They just keep moving forward. In this section of 1 Peter this morning, we're going to encounter the third and final mention of this word Christian. We won't actually get to that verse today. But where we start in verse 12, it is in the context of what Peter had in mind when he used the word Christian. And it will be, uh, it will gel perfectly with the first two mentions of the word in terms of it being a spiritually mature believer. But this context, it brings us face to face with what I'm asking us to ask ourselves in these coming weeks. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Now, the answer to that question, often, when you ask someone that question, the answer that I have heard more times than not, and I'm sure you have too, it goes something like this. Yeah, I believe in God. That's the bar. Please. Believing in God alone does not make anyone a Christian. No. (laughs) Would you consider James 2.19? Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. Feeling pretty good about yourself? You're impressed with that? The devils also believe and tremble. Oh. In Matthew 8.29, the devils did something that not even the scribes and the Pharisees did. You know what they did? They confessed Jesus as the Son of God. But listen, if believing in God alone makes someone a Christian, then guess what? The devils are Christians. Because they believe in God too. Please, every Christian is a believer, but not every believer is a Christian. This is what we have to reconcile. This is how we must treat this term biblically. What is clear from Acts 11 verse 26, the first mention of the term Christian, what is very clear there is the term Christian is synonymous with being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. It is synonymous with that. So we begin in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, and this will be as far as we can get today. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. So like the Apostle Paul, Peter was very matter of fact about the fiery trial or the evil day. Look at the verbiage, which is to try you. Not might. It's coming. The Apostle Paul referred to it as the evil day in Ephesians 6.13. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. The fiery trial, the evil day, is the day, the hour, the season, when God allows the devil to touch your life. Job can tell you all about that day. Now, from what Peter said in verse 12 here in chapter 4, here's what we observe about Christians, true Christians. Christians are realistic in their expectations. They are realistic in their expectations. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. When you expect something... You are not surprised when it shows up, are you? Right? Uh, the gangs just had a baby, praise the Lord. And when Autumn was, was carrying that baby, what do we say? She's what? She's expecting. So when it's time for that baby to come into the world, I doubt Autumn goes, oh my goodness, what's going on? How'd this happen? <laughs> right? No, she's been expecting for nine months. She didn't think it strange that this baby said, okay, I've had enough. I'm ready to come out. As a direct disciple of Jesus Christ, Peter understood this point very well because he remembered what his Lord had said to him and the disciples. Look at John 15, 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Peter remembered that. This is why he could articulate to the Christians at this time, don't think it's strange. You should expect this. And not only do Christians expect the fiery trial, they also understand why it happens. Why does it happen? It happens because we are not of this world. That's why it happens. Jesus said if you were of the world, the world would love you. It wouldn't hate you and persecute you. But you're not of this world. And because of that, they're going to hate you and persecute you. One of the many, and I mean there are many, one of the many problems with mainstream Christianity today is that it deceives believers because it insinuates that somehow you can be a true Christian and be loved by the world. Like they, 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 they've, they've come up with this brand of Christianity that is, it's not offensive, it's not controversial, it's very likable, uh, it, it's, you, you, you can adjust it where the world says, okay, I can accept that. The only problem with it is, is it's not biblical. You cannot be a true Christian in this world and not be hated and persecuted. That's not biblical reality. Now, this is important. True Christians love the world, but they do not expect to be loved by the world. (laughs) 
They, they have a John 3.16 love for the world. They love lost souls. They desire to see them come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Yes. But they're realistic. They do not expect to be loved by this world. Christians in the Roman Empire at this time were hated and persecuted by the world, not loved. And if we go beyond this time in the tribulation, the cost for believing the gospel will be very costly because for those who do and refuse the mark of the beast, what's going to happen? They're going to be persecuted to death. So here is a subtle but clear admission that someone might be saved, but they're not a Christian. You ready? They will seem stunned. They will seem surprised that they're hated by their lost co-workers. That they're rejected by their family because now they're a believer in Jesus Christ and they're like, they're like stunned. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what did you expect? Why would a believer expect the world to love them? That's an unrealistic expectation. It's like they can't believe, I can't believe my coworkers are are talking trash on me and treating me like garbage and my family won't even talk to me anymore and they've, I, I'm not invited to this anymore and they've, they've, they've kicked me out and... Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that's spiritual reality. <laughs> verse 12 marks the second time Peter used this word strange in this chapter. Look at verse 4. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Uh, the Romans were looking at these Christians like, you know, you, you guys are a strange group of people. Like, look, look at how you live. I mean, you don't, you don't get drunk. You don't party it up. You, you, yeah. Listen, one of the reasons believers find the fiery trial strange is because they are not strange. That's one of the reasons. They're not strange. They're actually normal. They're actually regular. In other words, they're just like the world. 1 Peter 2.9, But ye are a chosen generation, we saw this, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a what? Peculiar people. Not a normal people, a regular people, a worldly people, but a peculiar people. That word peculiar, it has to do with how we were purchased. How we were acquired. How were we purchased? How were we acquired? Uh, the Bible tells us in Acts 20, verse 28, that God purchased the church with his own blood. That's strange. That's peculiar. That's different. Because we are to be different. Remember how Peter began this epistle? The very first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Remember what we saw in chapter 2, verse 11? Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. 
Now, I get it. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. We get that in Galatians 2, verses 7 and 8. It's very clear. I understand that. And the way that he begins this book is very Jewish in tone. But please remember, the places that he mentioned in this first verse were places that had been evangelized by the Apostle Paul. So there were New Testament local churches in those areas. So you would have had Jews and Gentile believers in those churches. In Revelation, the Lord told John to write it in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in where? Asia. Not to mention, stranger was a term that was usually used by Jews to refer to Gentiles. Pilgrims or pilgrimage usually was associated with Jews. So Jews, so, so Peter was writing to both Jewish and Gentile Christians. I mentioned that just to clarify that I, I do think that we do people a disservice when we take the epistle of First Peter and just limit the scope of it to Jews and the tribulation. I think you can, you can see that, but I think you can't limit it to that. Ultimately, here's where we're going. <laughs> True Christians are strange in the eyes of the world. They're strange. Is it me or is it a little toasty in here today? Is is me? Yeah? Wow. Is, is it really me? It, is it toasty? Okay, how many say it's toasty? You're freezing? Really? Wow. I, I feel a little warm, but I'm, maybe I'm working. But listen, are, are you tracking with me? Uh, true Christians are strange, and I, I'll never forget... I was working with a guy once and I was explaining to him that a brother from church was preparing to uproot his family and go to the mission field. Like he was tendering his resignation. He was taking his wife and his children and they're moving out of the country to go serve the Lord on a foreign turf. And you know what he said? Or what he asked me, he said, why would a man do that to his family? Strange. <laughs> like he, he just he could not. And here we go. How about this? this? This is how we roll in America, right? You ready? Why doesn't he just send money? Because that's the answer to everything, right? Just write a check. How about that? See how Christians view God, how they approach his word, their approach to marriage and family, how they spend their time, their money, their moral compass. Strange. Strange. Christians, listen, you don't have to go out of your way to be strange. Uh, This is where legalism misses the mark. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to put on a suit and tie to go to church or wear a dress down to your toes and, and make sure your hair is the right length and all of that nonsense to be strange. All you have to do is walk with God according to this book and you will be strange. One of the most sobering revelations to me in the past two and a half years there are not many true Christians in the United States of America. 
a Christian nation. So I've heard. And you say, okay, can you please justify that? Based on what we see in Scripture, do Christians expect justice from the world? No. No. Christians do not expect justice from the world. That is an unrealistic expectation. Would you consider John 3.19? And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. If we want to have a conversation about injustice, let's have it. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, came into the world. But because men love darkness, <laughs> they treated him unjustly and crucified him. That's the truth. Now, if that was the justice that Christ received from this world, why would a Christian ever expect anything different from the world? This is the fallacy of what's happening in Laodicea. This is the bankruptcy of Christians or believers, sorry, who are not established in the word of God. Their expectations are not sound. It is foolish at best to expect the world to be fair and righteous and just when it was completely unfair, completely unjust, completely cruel and brutal to the one who came, who is the light of the world, the one who there was no sin in him. He was perfect in every way, and the world hated him, spat on him, rejected him, butchered him, and crucified him. So who am I, who are you, to throw a fit when something doesn't go well? I can't believe they did that. What were you expecting? What were you expecting? Why would you be shocked? This is the world. Putting a bow on it this morning. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and ye know. Paul told the church at Thessalonica that we have been appointed to affliction. He told them, he told them they should expect tribulation from the world. He says, I told you. Let me wrap it up here. 
One of the reasons believers struggle to walk as Christians in the world is because their expectations in the world are unrealistic. This is the fallacy of the mainline church in America. Somehow you can be a Christian and man, life's just going to be comfortable, cushy, easy. You know what? Yeah, you can you, you can sit in your lazy boy. You can have church how you want it on Sundays. And, and yeah, you can be a Christian. Uh, just make sure you send us your money every time you get paid. Oh, you want to go to a salon so you can get dolled up for the week so you can look good for the boys in the office? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Let's not kid ourselves. Father, in Jesus' name, when we come face to face with your word, we need to humble ourselves. We need to check ourselves. We need to hear what you have to say. God, it's a, this, is a, this is a very sobering consideration. God, the, the word, Lord, I know you hear it. The word is tossed around so casually, so flippantly, so loosely. But many really don't have a clue what the Bible says a Christian is. God, may we give respect to the term and carefully examine ourselves regarding are we a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen.